You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. And fear are some of our biggest enemies. The scripture says, take heed, Christian, lest you fall. Be careful with your pride getting puffed up, thinking you're better than you really are, thinking that, oh, look what I did, and taking the credit for things. And plus, fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. Hence, when Jesus appears, he says, fear not. Fear not, but believe. Don't let that fear cancel your faith. King Saul was chosen by God to be his nation's king. He started strong in the Lord, but throughout his life, he became fearful and full of pride. This, Pastor Dave teaches today, was Saul's downfall. Both fear and pride will pull you away from God and ruin your life and future. Stay humble and rely completely on God. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 10 as he begins his message, From Saul to David. We're going to be in First Chronicles. We're going to go through three chapters, 10, 11, and 12. So if you've got your Bibles with you, open up to chapters 10 in First uh, Chronicles. Hopefully you've found your way to chapter 10 of First Chronicles. So as we studied chapters 1 through 9, the writer has given a complete history of the nation Israel. He started tracing Israel's history all the way back to the first man, Adam. He went through Adam to Noah. He went from Noah on to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And after looking at the patriarchs, he started to focus on the tribes of Israel, which is Jacob's name that was changed to Israel by God. And then they narrowed it down. They started concentrating on the tribe of Judah leading to David. David the king. What struck me when I read through these things again was how important it was for this new generation to know where they came from, to know who they were. Remember, they had been in captivity for 70 years, and they lost all of their Judaism. Now, I'm sure they tried to practice Judaism while they were there, but they had lost so much, and the new generation didn't even know about their heritage. They didn't know where they came from. They didn't know what was going on and who they were. But this heritage here gave them a hope, gave them a future, and certainly gave them a past that they could rely on and know that God would always be faithful to them. And I think that's important. And when I read through this, I likened it. How many of you did an ancestry tree? You want to know where you come from. You want to know who was before you. You want to know, right? Well, that's what happened here. This is what Chronicles is all about. Telling the people who was before them and where they came from. And I'm sure as they read their names, they might have heard it before. I went, well, wait a minute. That's my great, 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 great dad. 
you know, I don't know, but maybe they, you know, what I'm saying, I'm sure that when you found those ancestry trees, it was exciting to see the tree and stuff like that. So it was cool, but that's what I see that's happening here. It's kind of like them doing an ancestry tree. I, I think that, that's cool. I got a kick out of that, so I amuse myself. Anyhow, <laughs> but what's interesting is the one thing that we need to zero in on is that this record now is a preservation. They have pristinely brought it down to now the house of David. And this becomes the main thing, theme of First and Second Chronicles. The house that David built. The house that God built using David, King David. And so as we begin chapter 10, the writer does not repeat the history of the reign of the first king of Israel who was Saul. First king of Israel was a Benjamite. He was named Saul. Instead, the only thing he records of Saul is his death, making way for David, who would be the next king. All this is recorded in 1 Samuel, and we went through this in great detail when we studied 1 Samuel, how Israel demanded a king. And they were whining like little children. Well, everybody else has a king. We want a king. And God didn't want them to have a king. God wanted Israel to be a theocracy, which meant governed by God. He wanted wanted to be their God and have them be his people. But they wanted a king. So God gave them a king by the name of Saul. God put a calling upon Saul's life. And he became king. You can find that out. You can look at that in 1 Samuel. And it records his, his reign. It records his successes and records his failures. And if you want to look at some of that stuff, we have CDs available of those times when we went through 1 Samuel. And a lot of you were here for those studies. But last week in chapter 9, specifically verses 35 through 44, we found the family tree, if you will, of King Saul. This is Saul's family tree. And I'm going to draw your attention specifically to verse 39. In verse 39, you have Ner begot Kish, and Kish begot Saul. This is King Saul. Because then we have Jonathan, um, Malkishua, Abinadad, and Eshbaal. And it goes on and on and on. The sons of Jonathan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we have this available now. So chapter 10 now comes here. And he says again, nothing of the reign of Saul until the end of chapter 10. Nothing about the reign of of Saul. But he immediately talks about the death of Saul and his sons. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. And the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. You can read about that in 1 Samuel 31. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadad, Malchishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore, Saul took a sword and fell on it. In other words, he committed suicide. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, 
He also fell on his sword and died. So Saul and his three sons died, and all his house died together. And when all the men of Israel who were in the valley saw that they had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And so it happened the next day. When the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his sons falling on Mount Gilboa. And they stripped him and took his head, meaning they cut it off, and his armor, and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of their gods and fastened his head in the temple of Dagon. Dagon was their god. And when all of Jabesh Gilead heard all the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose, took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons, and they brought them to Jabesh and buried their bones under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. It's very interesting what happens here. And one thing I want to bring your attention to, go back a couple books to 1 Samuel 31. 1 Samuel 31 speaks of this very event that I referenced here. In 1 Samuel 31, specifically in verse 10, and there's a reason why I want to draw this attention to you. There's a reason. In verse 10, now remember, these were written by two different people times apart, and they tell some stories, and if you have to read the whole thing to get the whole story, it's kind of like reading the Gospels to get the entire story of Jesus Christ. The Gospels fill in all the blanks. So in verse chapter 31, verse 10, look what it says. Then they put his armor, this is Saul's armor, in the temple of the Asterisk, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bet-Shean. Why did I bring this up? I've been to Bet-Shean. We went there. We saw this. When we toured Israel, we saw this at Bet-Shean, and we were there. in This beautiful, giant city that was there, and there's a place there where Saul was put. So I thought that was interesting, and I wanted to point that out. But we know, we know, I'm back in, I'm back in 1 Chronicles, we know from our previous studies in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, that Saul didn't finish well. Saul did not finish well. And here in chapter 10, specifically verses 13 and 14, at the end of the chapter, the writer of the book talks about what led to his downfall. I'm going to read here verse 13 of chapter 10. So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord because he did not keep the word of the Lord and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he, the Lord, killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. So you see this happening here, what the Lord's hand was involved here. The story of King Saul, one commentator said, is one of the greatest tragedies in the entire Bible. Because he started out well. What do you remember about Saul when he was chosen to be king? Well, first of all, he was very tall. He was good looking. He was a strong guy, a stout guy, and he was humble at the beginning. But there was something missing in his, in his life. He didn't have a relationship with the one true living God, Jehovah. He had no relationship with God. He lacked any genuine spiritual connection. And subsequently, he fell and was corrupted by fear and pride. And I got to tell you something. 
Pride and fear are some of our biggest enemies. Pride and fear are some of our biggest enemies. The scripture says, take heed, Christian, lest you fall. Be careful with your pride getting puffed up, thinking you're better than you really are, thinking that, oh, look what I did, and taking the credit for things. And plus, fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. Hence, when Jesus appears, he says, fear not. Fear not, but believe. Don't let that fear cancel your faith. Unfortunately, Saul, if you are a sports nut, specifically I think in baseball more than anything, what's the worst thing that you can say about an up-and-coming player? He has potential. He has potential. An up-and-coming player says he has potential. Well, Saul had some great potential. But like a lot of players coming up in the major leagues, never lived up to those potentials. Never lived up to the potential that it I mean, look at that. Listen to this, in fact. Saul was not just some piper coming off the street. He was handpicked by God. God chose him to be the king of Israel, the very first king. He had the prophet Samuel by his side the entire time. So God gave him someone to consult with, someone who would lead him. But he discounted that. He had all these mighty men around him to help him. He had all these mighty men. And even better than all of that, God gave him his Holy Spirit. God gave him the Holy Spirit. Now remember, back in the Old Testament, God would give out the Holy Spirit specifically for various purposes, and he could also take it back. So God gave the Holy Spirit to Saul, and he would take it back because he didn't have a genuine connection with God. He did not seek God when he was in difficulties for his life. In fact, it told us here, he went to a medium. He went to a spiritualist, and, and you know, Swami with a, I don't know if she had a crystal ball or not, but he, he goes to this guy. What can we learn from this? Not to go to mediums. Okay, well, what else can we learn from, from this thing? Well, we can learn that the sin of sinners will eventually find you out sooner or later. Scripture says that. Saul died for his transgressions. He died. What are the wages of sin? Death that no man's greatness can exempt him from the judgments of God. Saul started out like a house of fire. He did many, many, many great things for Israel, conquered and did some great things. You can read about it in 1 Samuel. But the judgments of God caught up to him because he thought he was exempt. His pride got in the way. We can learn that disobedience is a killing thing. called died for not keeping the word of the Lord. He died because he didn't keep the word of the Lord. In, in 1 Samuel 13, 14, God promised to take the kingdom from Saul and give it to a man after his own heart. We know that man to be David. It took many, many years for David to assume the crown, to ascend to the crown. It took many, many years, many years of hardship, many years of prayer, many years of, of suffering. David went through a lot of pain to get to where God had called him. My prayer is that we may be delivered from unbelief, that we may be delivered from impatience, that we may be delivered from despair and from hurt. That's my prayer. And while we're waiting on the Lord, he's going to show us a kingdom that can't be moved, a kingdom that's coming, a city that's not built with hands, a city that's built by God. And he's going to give us that. So David was called to be king at a very young age. And we talked about that, how he was brought out how he's brought out and chosen by God, a ruddy kid, little guy, scrawny, 
crazy hair, wild kid, hung out with the sheep all the time, nothing but a shepherd. God called him, told him he would be king, but it would take a long time. Some estimate maybe 20 years before he ascended to the throne, maybe even 25 before he ascended to the throne. I said in the past, and I'll say it again, God calls people to leadership. God calls people into ministry. And then when he calls that person, he begins to prepare that person for ministry. And he prepares them and prepares them and prepares them. And sometimes it may take a long time. I've told you my story before. 1993, I believe I got a call from God. I believe I got a call. I believe that God told me that I would be a pastor. That didn't happen until 17 years later. But during that time, God used it to build me up, to build me and make me in the person I'm today. He used that time for his advantage. He put me through the refiner's fire. He put me through the paces. He did everything he needed to do, just like he did in David's life. All those times that David was running from Saul, all those things that he learned. Saul's dead. He's gone. David now is the true king of Israel. Look at chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Then all of Israel came together to David at Hebron, which was the capital at that time, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in the past time, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord your God said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel and ruler over my people Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord and they anointed David over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. You can read about that in 2 Samuel. So David becomes king. And I love that. What do, they, what do they mean by bone of my bone? What do they mean by that? Bone of my bone and your flesh. You're our flesh. What do they mean? Well, we study the genealogy. What were they saying? You're one of us. You're one of us. You're from, our, you're from us. You're from us. And they're saying this. Remember, Saul was from the tribe of what? Benjamin. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. David's from the tribe of Judah. David's from the tribe of Judah, the kingly tribe, the priestly tribe, where um, Jesus will come from. Right, exactly. So interesting here is verse 2. The Lord had given David two commands. He'd given David two commands, and you can read them right there. Also in the time past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord your God said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over my people Israel. If you have an original King James, it says you shall feed my people Israel. They've changed it to shepherd and you shall rule over them. Pretty interesting. David was called a man after God's own heart because he had a heart of a shepherd. He was a shepherd. He knew how to take care of sheep. He knew what to do. He knew how to feed them. He knew how to care for them. He knew how to protect them. He knew all the nuances of taking care of sheep. And God's people are called sheep. And David knew this. He had a heart for sheep. He had a heart for the people. And God knew that. And he took this shepherd boy and he made him king all by the will of God. And coming from this background, he made a great king, an ideal king, because his interest was always in the sheep. His primary responsibility, 
Feed them. Feed them. Sheep are God's children. You are God's children. I am a child of God. We belong to God. You are not mine. You are God's. You are God's sons and daughters. You belong to him. I have no ownership over you, but God has given you to me in this setting to feed. And that's what we're doing right now. We're feeding on the best thing we can possibly feed on, the word of God. We're feeding on the word of God, which will strengthen us, which will nourish us, which will sustain us, which will keep us moving. And that's what we're doing right now. We are feeding on God's word. And that's what Calvary Chapel insists upon doing. We line by line, verse upon verse, we teach the word of God so that you can have the whole counsel of God. So you can be built up and, and be ready for ministry. And that's what he says. And then he says, rule, my people. David was king, a ruler. I don't rule. I, I have authority here given to me only by God. God has given me some authority here as the pastor of the church, but I'm not a ruler. David was a ruler. He had a kingdom. He was a king. He could tell a person to live or die. He had that authority as king. It's interesting. Remember John 21? Remember that great thing between Jesus and Peter? He was on the beach cooking something. The boat was coming in. They'd fished all night. John says, it's the Lord. Peter jumped out and swam ashore. He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to get to Jesus because he really wanted to see Jesus. What did Jesus tell him? What did Jesus ask him? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then what was Jesus' response? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Three times he said that. We know that he was restoring Peter because of the three times that Peter had denied him. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And we see this, and then Peter goes on to write something in 1 Peter 5, 2. Talking to those people, he said, feed the flock of God which is among you. Peter says those very words in 1 Peter 5, 2. Jeremiah himself, the great prophet Jeremiah was prophesying at this time, and he says in Jeremiah 3, 15, and in that day, I will give them pastors who will feed them the knowledge of God. Pastors who will feed them a the knowledge of God. I believe a pastor's job, I believe my job is to feed you the word of God. That's my job. That's my main job. You remember when the, when the apostles in Acts 6 they were having trouble with the distribution of food. And, 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 and they couldn't understand why there was such a problem. And the Hellenistic Jews, which were Greek Jews, came to them and said, hey, our women are being slighted. What's wrong with you? Our women are being left out. You need to do something about it. So they said, we can't leave the word of God and serve and wait on tables. We can't do that. Our job is to teach the word of God. Our job is to learn the, the word of God. So what did they do? Go find seven men. Go find seven men. Good reputation, filled with the Holy Spirit. And they did. You are a sure In 1 Chronicles 28, we see David commissioning his son, Solomon, to build the house of the Lord. God had chosen Solomon for this work. In verse 20, David said to Solomon, Be strong and courageous and do it, and do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord God, 
Even my God is with you. He will not leave or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. Anytime we begin a work for the Lord, the enemy is looking to make us afraid or dismayed and discouraged. David knew Solomon would face obstacles, but he encouraged him with the truth that God is with him. And when you face obstacles, fear, and discouragement, God is with you too. We're so glad you decided to join us today. You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working through the book of First Chronicles, a book that is rich with stories of faith and courage. This is a series you won't want to miss. If you'd like to hear today's message again, or if you missed it and want to go back to it, head over to AssureHopeRadio.com. Once again, that's AssureHopeRadio.com. You'll find today's message and many others to encourage you along the way. If you find yourself in Cape May, New Jersey, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website. We'd love to meet you and spend more time learning together. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We loved spending time with you. See you next time for more on A Sure Hope.